Okay, so as I just want to give listeners a little bit of context here about Sublime Object of Ideology. So, of course, this book, uh, published in 1989, it was an instant success, um, real game changer in theory, and really made him a star in, in at least philosophical academia uh, of the continental variety. He didn't become a pop culture sensation the way that we know him now, really until probably uh, the Great Recession and or, or uh, Occupy Wall Street. That's when I really started seeing all the clips and him become like the the world's philosopher homeless. We want to call him that. Yeah. Um, but but Sublime Object of Ideology is one of the greatest books he's ever written. It's his early masterpiece. Um, and he does lay out his original theory of ideology. There's some complications involved in reading it. One, he only talks about ideology for the first half of the book. <laughs> and so you, you, once you get into the second half of it, you start going, you know, I thought I was supposed to be reading a fucking book about ideology. Where the fuck's the ideology? Right. But this is what makes him difficult to read because all the later stuff i mean in the whole second half of the book i did a word search i the word ideology doesn't even appear and i think that the word ideological appears twice and so in a book called the sublime object of ideology what the hell is he talking about for half of the book if it's not ideology well he's talking about ideology he just doesn't use the term and it took me a long time and a lot of it has to do with the help of Todd McGowan to be able to understand what's going on in the later part. So with that being said, I just want to say, so the sublime object of ideology could have also been titled the jouissance of ideology or the real of ideology. Um, I think thinking about the book titled in those, the, the jouissance of ideology, the real of ideology, I think it really helps to emphasize what makes his theory of ideology so important, which is to say it's a theory of how jouissance is an essential component of ideology. But again, jouissance has to do with the sublime object, which is obje petit ah, or das ding, but that's that's a whole nother thing. Just think about it as obje petit ah. And so jouissance and the sublime object or obje petit ah, what register are they in for Lacan? the real so that's why the book could have all those three titles and be the same book but each of those titles help drive home in a different way what is important or original about what he's doing with the theory of ideology and what would those three titles be again the sublime so it's sublime object of ideology but the two alternates would have been um as far as i'm concerned the jouissance of ideology and the real of ideology. And when I say the real of ideology, this becomes really important when we get to the point where we're going to, and that's if we get there tonight, um, where we contrast Zizek's theory of ideology to that of Althusser's. Because basically what Althusser's theory of ideology leaves out is the register of the real. So, but that's a whole other can of worms to open up and We'll see if we get there tonight. Um, All right. 
So, okay. Um, so now this is important. So his, his two really important early works are the sublime object of ideology and for they know not what they do. Now, Jody Dean mentioned both of those in the quote that, you know, I, I cited earlier. So both of them are really important, but the sublime object of ideology is very Lacanian, whereas for they know not what they do is very Hegelian, which means that even as he's writing his first couple of books, he's paving the way for what is his masterpiece, uh, Less Than Nothing. Less Than Nothing is the closest he's ever going to come to systematically articulating his philosophy and in reality it's not so much a change in style it's just really fucking long so he just packs all of his shit in there and so there is a sense where if somebody was to read sublime object of ideology which there's stuff in there that doesn't come back in less than nothing but if you read sublime object of ideology and you read less than nothing you you be about as close as anybody to knowing his theory if you if you work through it um but as far as his theory of ideology go there's two other books in particular that are really good one is called plague of fantasies it is a personal favorite of mine he doesn't list it among his greatest books but i think it's one of his and then uh tarrying with the negative and the reason i include tarrying with the negative here is because the last chapter is probably the best chapter he's ever written on his theory of scape, the scapegoat or, you know, nationalistic enjoyment, all of that kind of stuff that he's so well known for. Mm. So those are, um, those are helpful uh, in relation to his theory of ideology. Um, in the sublime object of ideology, he's talking about ideology in general, whereas when he gets to tearing with the negative, he's talking about contemporary ideology, which is, he deals with like structure, structivism, or constructivism, i.e. Butler. Um, so it's, it's more of focused on that. Um, the chapter in Tearing with the Neck, I just, yeah, that, that chapter I, I just mentioned is called Enjoy Your Nation as Yourself. It's it's one of the great chapters that you can read on its own, and it's it serves as a great introduction to Zizek's work. So, um, and that's where he really talks about the concept of the theft of enjoyment. We got to be clear that that is not Lacan's concept. It's Zizek. Zizek is weird about, he acts like everything he says or, or anything he does that's original. Somehow he can't take credit for it. Um, so it, it, so it all blurs together. Like you think, Oh, maybe the theft of enjoyment is Lacan's. Well, it's not, it's Zizek, but, um, he doesn't, he's not good at claiming his own concepts. Uh, in the way that other philosophers are. And then I just want to say, for if you want to do more reading on his theory of ideology, the metastases of enjoyment uh, ha- is his most sustained discussion of the obscene underside of ideology, law, symbolic order, etc. Which is to say, it's, it's the greatest analysis of the superego in his work. Um, and the, the chapter's called Superego by default. Now again, none of this really makes much sense yet because we haven't gotten to these concepts. But right. again, if you retroactively come back to this after the, the lecture, it'll, it'll make a lot more sense. Everybody, um, everybody who's listening to this is planning on coming back to it later or, or they're a loser. Yeah, so a lot of it's, them, it's going like, to happen. 
<laughs> funny like it's almost like you, you like fight club you, you like to get anything out of it you got to go back to it at least once <laughs> um okay all right all the preface shits out of the way let's dive in to zizek's theory so i think the best way to start off getting the idea of his theory of ideology is to understand the threefold structure of law like what what is the law for zizek well, understanding this unlocks so much. So, okay, to understand how the law is structured for Zizek, we got to talk about the imaginary, symbolic, and the real. Now, we did a whole stream on that. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but just a brief refresher. So, two hours later, <laughs> when Trump, I, you know, you can cut me off after five minutes, I swear. Uh, I don't even want to go five minutes. But he, basically, look, for Lacan, and again, I, this is for, I wouldn't, this isn't the most accurate way of saying it, but it helps to put it like this. For Lacan, there's three registers, domains, areas, or orders that make up the human condition or the human situation, right? Like, or I want to say human experience, but that's misleading, but, or even the psyche, but that's misleading. So the point of the matter is there's three there's three areas three orders that make up i'm just going to call it the human condition for for now and so here's what we've got there the imaginary order has to do with what we see it has to do with perceptual and phantasmatic images right mm. so when you hear imaginary don't hear make believe i mean it can be that and it's part of it and it and often i mean it does involve distortions that are imaginary but the key thing to hear when you hear imaginary is hear images right now for us when we think of images we think paintings or television images or photos in magazines if those still exist um but you got to broaden the concept out here uh, it's what we see. So I'm looking at a lamp right now. That lamp has a specific shape. Uh, it's a certain image, right? So both perceptions and imaginings or um, the images in our imaginations, right? All of this counts as the imaginary because it's comprised of images, whether they be perceptual or whether they be phantasmatic. But the imaginary, the imaginary is what we see, okay? Um, easy enough, but what is the symbolic? Well, the symbolic isn't what we see, it's how we see it. Now, what am I getting at here? So, I see the lamp, I see its perceptual features, but then I say, oh, I think that's a pretty lamp, or I bet I could get a lot of money for that, right? Like, you start to think of it in terms of valuative criteria, right? You start to think about the lamp in its relation to other objects, right? Like I have a lamp, this is almost readiness to hand, right? I have a lamp in order to see so I can write and read a book and blah, 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 blah. So the symbolic has to do with the rules, concepts, regulations, criteria, values, etc., of society, right? So um, it's what is, again, it's, you know, we always talk about perception is theory laden. Well, the symbolic order is the theory. It's what 
makes us see things the way we see them, how we judge them, how we value them, right? Um, and not what we see. So imaginary order is what we perceive, what we perceive. Symbolic order is how we see it, how we judge it, how we value it, how we organize it cognitively, how we conceptualize it, etc. The real, now this is the tricky one, the real is precisely what we don't see and how we don't organize things. So basically the real is the, the gaps in our cognitive mapping of what we see. So we see things, we have a perception of the world, we understand that world. And so it, it's very helpful. Like basically the imaginary order has to do with perception. The symbolic order has to do with understanding it's the ways that we understand things, the ways we value them. The real is what is left out of this intelligible experience of the world and yet still structures it, still affects it, still shapes it. So Lacanians will often talk about the real as that gap in the imaginary symbolic coordinates, very jargony, right? But it helps because the whole point of Lacan, and this is why Lacan is not reducible to just being a structuralist, right? Mm -hmm. For Lacan, he thinks there's things that escape our meaningful, intelligible experience that still nevertheless shape, affect, and configure that experience. These things are in the, they're unconscious, right? We're not, we're not aware they're there. We're not aware that they're operative. And yet, nonetheless, they, sh they have a profound impact on reality as we experience it. And so the real is what's left out of our meaningful reality while also fundamentally organizing it. How's that? Is that clear? Clear as mud. No, I think that's great. So I liked also that you said that the imaginary is for perception and the symbolics for understanding. Um, because I think that honestly, that, here's the thing: you can link it to the Kantian. You, I mean, you can you can keep, link right. it to Kant's triad too. That lets you that lets you link it to both Kant and Heidegger. I think in a pre, and obviously probably Hegel too. But you know, it's it's good Hegel so, too because what you've got is the imaginary is intuition, which for Kant and Hegel that's perception, right? right. Imaginary is perception. The symbolic is understanding for both what Kant and Hegel would think of as the understanding and the real is reason. Now, the the trick is that Hegel does something really different with reason than Kant did. Basically, intuition and understanding for both Kant and Hegel pretty much the same. Where they diverge is how they think of reason. And basically Kant thinks like reason, you know, it gets us into all these deadlocks and all these uh, these formal entanglements and these contradictions. And so reason runs amok, but that's precisely what Hegel affirms about it. And he takes it and is like, no, that's what makes it good, not bad. And okay, that sounds kind of naive in how I, I stated it, but the point is, and I don't want to go into that whole you know thing with, with Hegel and Kant, I'm just saying that it helps to link these three orders to especially how Hegel thinks about them. Um, I mean, even Kant's helpful too, but um, 
it, it helps connect the dots of like what what look what Lacan means by these three orders. Gotcha. You just have to re remember by imaginary, it's both perception and imaginations. And when I say imaginations, I mean, okay, I'm looking at a stack of books here on my table. That's a perception. Now I can use my imagination to project a little leprechaun and see the little leprechaun dancing on top of Mark Fisher's capitalist realism, right? So now I can see it. The book right exactly so that's the thing like there's two different types of images that make up the imaginary perceptual and phantasmatic but they're both part of the imaginary In an attempt to bring in new people to the world of philosophy and theory while building on relationships already established, we are doing a countrywide tour of the United States this fall. What's up, guys? It's Anna Dave. Are we coming to a city or a town near you? Do you think there is a venue or audience in your local region that would be interested in a lecture or facilitated discussion about existentialism, critiques of therapism, PMC ideology, self-help, introduction to philosophy, or the time energy critique of any of those things. This speaking and discussion facilitation tour will include the Pacific Northwest in mid-August, the Kansas City, Missouri area late August or early September, Philadelphia at the beginning of October, and really we're going to be all over the area there hopefully, so get in contact with us if you think that we should come visit your state. Phoenix, Arizona, mid-October, and SoCal, especially San Diego, late October. I say especially San Diego because we already have our guide for the San Diego region. What's the difference between a host, a guide, and a volunteer, you ask? Well, thanks for asking, actually. The volunteer role is for people who want to put up posters or in other ways promote the events that will be occurring in their town or city. Whereas the host might have a guest bedroom, guest house, or a place that we can park our van so that we can sleep in our van. We need to know if you would have like bathroom facilities or anything like that. And so the form on the website is where you can tell us what you have to offer. Guiding on the other hand though, people who love to guide take a lot of pride in their local knowledge. A good example of that would be Michael Downs when I visited him in Raytown, Missouri, and he took me into Kansas City and we had barbecue and he took me to the mall and to all these other landmark places from his life growing up there. Um, but a more recent example would be my friend Michael in Poland who took us around Katowice, Poland and basically gives a historical and sociological analysis of everything and it was amazing. It was, it was one of the coolest things we've ever experienced and it made us realize some people just want to provide the space and privacy whereas other people want to take you out and show you around and so if you're interested in being a volunteer host or guide we have a special form for that so please fill out your information and uh, get in contact with us as soon as possible so we can fit you into the schedule because we'll love to meet you touch base with the local community and if you don't think anyone else in your area is interested in the things that you're interested in, if you don't think anyone else is into this stuff, well, we might be able to surprise you. When I saw that poster, Bold Real Art, 
in Boise fucking Idaho? Are you kidding me? It was virtually an, an answer to an unspoken prayer, you know, really was. And I just couldn't believe that somebody was interested in the things that I was interested in, that I had been interested in for years and had kind of given up on in, in futility. I'd labored in solitude for so long, I had no one to talk to about it, no one to bounce ideas off. This tour is going to bring together a lot of people who want to be based in text with the people they're in conversation with. And yeah, I think it's going to be a fantastic year. The only other thing that I want to say is that Michael Downs' first book is going to be published by Theory Underground really soon here. I've got another book coming out really soon here. These books will be spread throughout the United States on this tour. So I'm hoping to be able to do some actual book launch events at various bookstores. Outside of that, I guess the last thing that I would say is that Michael Downs is gearing up to teach For They Know Not What They Do by Slavoj Žižek. We're putting out all these introduction videos and other interviews related to the topic of Hegel, Lacan, Žižek because we want to give people an accessible and sturdy basis in the discourse. The problem is, is that Michael Downs is very busy having to work at a wage slave job. And so if you want to help in freeing Mikey, make sure to go to his Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the dangerous baby and make a donation. Thank you. I would be remiss to close this out without a quick shout out to our patrons and our anonymous donors. Thank you so much for the donations already. We've only been around for a month. We already got over $3,000 in donations. Um, and so thank you. And uh, stay tuned for the app, which is on its way. There will be a Theory Underground app. So the current setup is that it is a social media site built around courses where you can suppose that people who are involved in the discussions have a shared interest in the same or similar texts and where you can assume in a lot of the discussions that, yeah, people have read the stuff that you're reading, uh, that you're bringing into dialogue. And so, uh, for instance, the idea of the university by Carl Jaspers, dedicated forum. Slavoj Zizek's For They Don't Know What They Do, dedicated forum. And then as people take the course over the years, new people will be coming into that forum. And so if you get in there early, you'll be able to see how the conversation evolves. And as new people add into the conversation, it'll bring back memories and like things that you want to work through, questions that you had with the first time that you read the text. And so I'm really excited for this. The reason I've built this website is because I think that this is what's lacking in so many other spaces, is that ability to return, to be able to communicate after the fact and in a sustained way on a platform that's not attention grabby and annoying like discord and so stay tuned because there is an app on the way thank you to our donors if you want to donate go to theory underground.com forward slash support thank you <laughs>